Hi, and welcome to the Simply Investing Dividend Podcast. My name is Kanwal Sarai, and in this episode, it's a continuation of part one from last week, I get to sit down with Prakash, who is the founder of DividendPower.org. Now, last week, we talked about the current economic climate and investing in today's climate, along with its challenges. And in part two, we're going to continue our conversation, and Prakash is going to share with us a number of stocks that he's currently interested in. So sit back and relax and check out episode part two, starting right now. I mean, nobody can predict the future. We don't know what's going to happen next week, next month, next year. <laughs> we don't know how long this is going to last. So have you, it sounds like, is it fair for me to say that you haven't changed your approach to investing uh, given the current climate we're in? Or are you just more cautious today than you were, let's say, a year ago? Um, I, I haven't changed my approach. I'm still a dividend growth investor. I'm just more cautious, you know, and so I'm looking for stocks which are undervalued and which are, um, you know, paying, uh, you know, a nice yield and which are going to grow its dividend and which I think will have a good total return. And that hasn't changed any at all. Um, but there's, you know, if you feel like, you know, your time frame is three to five years out, I mean, it may be an opportune time to look out, you know, if you're okay with, hey, some volatility and some up and down, you know, in 2022 and 2023, um, you know, maybe 2025, 2026, the economy is a different place and stocks are in a different place. Um, you know, I mean, in many cases, um, because there's been a downturn has been severe for some stocks, the yields are the highest that they've been in a decade, you know. And so there's some choices out there and, and whether, you know, there's some choices out there for people to make, you know, is this a good stock or not for them, for them? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, there's some opportunities there, given that the yields are going up, right? As stock prices come down, the yields come up. So there's some good opportunities there. And I think there's a good point here to mention, uh, you know, it sounds like you have the confidence because you've been investing for a while. You and I both, you know, I started with stocks in 99. Uh, prior to that was mutual funds. So we're sort of on the same timeline. And I think you've got a little bit more confidence because you've gone through a number of crashes and market corrections. Because if you look at what happened prior to, let's go back to March of 2020 when COVID hit and we had that big drop in March. Prior to that, we've been in a bull market for, I believe, almost 11 years straight, which is unprecedented. We've never had the, the market keep going up and up and up for that long. So for those who are in their 20s right now have never experienced the market crash. This is the first time they're going through this. So I think that makes it more riskier, right? If you haven't gone through a crash before, you're going to be a lot more anxious today. Yeah, that, that, that's true. I mean, the really only the real crash before this since, since you know, the mid 2000s was the bear, COVID-19 bear market. And that was all of like two months. And all the stimulus kind of just kind of reversed that. Um, but this is the first time many investors who maybe started in their 20s or 30s are experiencing, um, you know, a downturn. And, you know, it's it's tough. Um, you know, I mean, the first bear market I've been, I went through that was, I can, you know, really remember was the dot com crash. And it was just kind of like, wow. And, you know, you're just, you know, the volatility, the up and down and so on. And, you know, and, but in, you know, the second one I really went through was a subprime mortgage cri cri crisis. And what you do find is, you know, you think about the stocks 
back then during the dot-com crash, which you do find is they eventually recover. I mean, some of these tech stocks like Microsoft um, crashed, right? I mean, yep, and I the value went down, right? And so, um, you know, in, and I think at some point it was trading maybe in the high teens or low 20s and look at Microsoft's stock price right now. I mean, it is about 10 times that, right? Mm -hmm. So, but it took... 20 years to get there, 18 get there. years, yeah. right? So, <laughs> so you kind of have to be um, um, be aware of what you're buying and, you know, um, and when. And, you know, that's why services like yours are great. So, I mean, you kind of have that experience, right, that people can pick up, pick on, you know, pick your brain through your writing and through your, you know, discussions, right? So, mm -hmm. Yeah. So then what advice do you have for someone who's just someone who's in their mid-20s They've graduated. Yeah. They've been. They're working full time now, so they've got money coming in. They've got. They want to start investing because they don't want to keep that in cash. You can see inflation. Just keeping money sitting in a savings account, you're going to be losing money over the next couple of years just because of inflation. So, someone who's young wants to invest. What advice do you have for them? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're going to start investing in stocks, um, you know, there's some advantages today that didn't exist when I started. First of all, brokerage commissions are much lower and essentially they're zero in many places, right? And that wasn't the case. I mean, I still remember paying like, you know, 1995, 2495, 2995. 29. Yeah, same here. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. So it, that's right. It's unbelievable, right? So, I mean, it's, you know, a thing back then. You had to kind of dig in and say, okay, 100 shares, right? Or 50 shares, right? Um, you know, because one share in the stock is 40 bucks and you're paying $30 commission, it didn't make any sense, right? It doesn't make any sense. That's right. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And so today there's, you know, no commission. So that's a significant advantage that you have. So you can always start really small, I guess is the point I'm trying to make. You don't need to, you know, buy a lot of anything. You can, um, you can start with, a handful of shares, one share, and just watch it and get your feet wet. And then, you know, maybe, maybe you buy one share of, you know, Microsoft, one share of Coca-Cola, just tossing out some random names here. And you just kind of watch it, or even if it's a handful of shares, you know what I mean? And, you know, if there's not, um, you know, the other thing that did not really exist, at least it existed, but it wasn't really um, as popular as it is today as ETFs, you know, and that's a way of starting um, without investing directly in shares. Um, but stocks, I think, are the way to go, in my opinion. I mean, the the costs of ownership are really low um, to almost to the point where it's zero. And so, um, you know, which is very different than before. Um, and so, you know, I think uh, do your diligence if you're buying your first set of stocks. Um, keep your brokerage, um, you know, costs low and, uh you know, and then do your research. And if you're not sure about how to do it on your own, then sign up for, you know, maybe a service that can help you. Right. And so um, that's really the way to go. Right. Yep, absolutely. Now, do you think there's a certain type of temperament that uh, a, an investor should have before they start investing in stocks? Because I've had people come up to me and say, well, I'm too scared. I can't sleep at night. Even if I put $500 into a stock, I just, I'm restless. I'm worried about it and I'm checking it four, five, six times a day. <laughs> so is there a certain yeah. type of temperament that investors should have to, to get into the, the type of investing that we're talking about? Yeah, um, it does kind of, you know, you got more real money on the line, right? And unrealized capital gains feel good. 
but unrealized losses feel worse. <laughs> so, That's right. and, and so um, you kind of have to expect the up and down and you kind of have to expect that the market will eventually make a fool out of everybody. Mm -hmm. There will be something you will do that are some stock you'll buy, which will not work out the way you thought it would work out and it'll crash. Um, or it won't ever, it'll just go flat. You know, it'll just bounce around for years and never go anywhere. And, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's, no one can bat 100% in baseball. And, you know, in baseball, if you're hitting 300, you're, you're great, right? Yeah. If you're going over 500, if you're hitting like six or 700 for stocks, you're probably really, really good. Right. And so, but you don't need every stock you own to do great. Um, and that's kind of the mentality. Um, even, you know, Warren Buffett says it, you know, you just need a few 10 baggers and then a bunch that just do okay. And you've probably done really well. Right. And so I think that's yeah. kind of the mindset you need that not everything's going to be a home run because it just never will happen. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think you need to uh, just to add to what you just said, right. You need, you need the patience. You shouldn't, yep. I don't think you should be watching your stock 15 times a day. That's crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you need to have the patience and the discipline to sort of stick to it. Yeah. You know, you've done your homework. You bought the stock when it was undervalued. You checked, like we talked about earlier, you checked the payout ratio, the, the debt, and you, you've checked all those things. Everything checks out. You're now putting in $500 or 1000 or 10000 into a stock. As long as the dividend's coming in, the company's financially healthy, they're paying you a dividend, they're increasing a dividend, stock prices can go up and down because we are going to see market corrections and crashes. That's not going to go away. So, uh, Absolutely. Yeah, and, Absolutely. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. So this leads up to the next question, which is, and I'll answer it too, uh, but I'll have you go first. What was your worst investing mistake? If you want to share that with the audience. <laughs> So, I mean, I've definitely had my share of investing mistakes. I mean, 3M was one where the stock just didn't go anywhere. And then, you know, and I just exited. It went up, went down. And then I think I eventually I had a, um, over several years time period, I had, I think, a slightly negative return. Um, so there was a stock I had bought, uh, which no longer exists as a company. It was a fund manager, asset manager, publicly traded asset manager. And a lot of those companies have gone away. And so it was a small company called Manning and Napier. And, um, and, you know, it was run by a founder and it had a nice yield and it was doing great. Funds were well um, regarded, but the, they had difficulty and a lot of asset managers have because of fee compression and just consolidation in the industry and difficulty beating index funds. And the stock didn't do well. It just crashed completely. And I thought, oh, it's going to recover. You know, it's just a bear market and that kind of stuff. And it never did, at least in the time frame I wanted it to. And so I ended up selling and I took the loss. Yeah. Um, you know, I have another stock where I had invested in, and this one is not a dividend stock. I had invested in Fitbit because I was like, oh, this is great. I'm tracking my steps and everything. And it didn't work out that way because Fitbit <laughs> was easy to recreate. Um, and the, you know, the, um, Apple watch came out and they just could never recover. And eventually it got bought by Google. Now that one is, wasn't specifically a dividend stock, but it was an investing mistake because I got kind of enamored by the technology that I was using rather than the company as an investment vehicle. And that often happens to people. Hey, I, you know, I love what I'm, I love this gadget, right? I love this device. And that was kind of one of those lessons learned. And that's not that long ago. So even now, after all this time, you know, I kind of, you know, made a mistake. Now I didn't lose that much money on it, but I still lost money. So. Yeah. 
yeah. So I, I love hearing these stories because I think it's, there's valuable lessons to be learned there, right? Yeah. And you're not going to make the same mistake again going forward. Yeah. And I'm hoping our audience is going to learn from our mistakes and not make those same mistakes themselves. Um, I'll share with you very quickly. Um, back in the dot com bubble, uh, 99, 2000. Don't know if you remember. Do you remember a company called Nortel? I do. Uh, Northern Telecom. Yes. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Nortel was the darling of the TSX, Toronto Stock Exchange, right? The stock just kept going up and up and up and up. I mean, you could buy it for like $50 on Monday, sell it for $75 on Friday, and then just it, it just kept going up. It went to a peak uh, at around $120 or a little bit above that. Um, and I, I waited on the sidelines. I, w- I wasn't sure what I was doing. Uh, but everybody next to me was buying Nortel like crazy. Um, I also worked in high, high tech for many years. My background is computer science. So I just got sucked into the crowd. Everybody was like, you need to buy Nortel. This stock is, there's nothing stopping it. They're going to be a trillion dollar company. <laughs> I bought a couple of shares when it dropped to 110. And then it went to 85 and I bought some more shares. Then it went to 60 and I bought a few more shares. And then long story short, the company went bankrupt and it was worth zero. <laughs> so, uh, and that was bought without any research whatsoever, right? They didn't pay a dividend. I didn't, I didn't even know where to look for the debt, the PE ratio. The, the, what am I even looking for? And I, yeah. I just, somebody gave me the ticker symbol and said, go ahead, create a trading account. And here it is. And that's what I did, which is crazy. Looking back at it now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Hindsight's yeah. twenty twenty, but there's always lessons to be learned, and you hope you don't make the same type of mistake again. You might make new ones, but you don't make the same. <laughs> again. Absolutely. And then one more I want to share with you, Prakash, is uh, in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. So right before we got into that financial crisis, there was a company you might have heard of it, Washington Mutual. Right? They were oh, yeah. a big company. They were around since the eighteen hundreds. Their stock price, along with a whole number of other banks in the U.S., came down. And as the stock price comes down, the yield goes up. The yield went over 10%, maybe 9.8, around there, 10% yield. So I'm looking at the yield and I'm getting greedy because I can, why am I going to get, earn 2% dividend yield when I can get 10? And yeah. so I put $5,000 down into Washington Mutual. Again, didn't look at anything else but the yield. That was it. Didn't look at the payout ratio, uh, earnings, uh, debt. Nothing. And uh, within uh, nine months, the company went bankrupt and it was worth zero. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember Washington Mutual. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that brings up a good point that you, you're talking about the yields. And so, um, I mean, high yield is attractive, but often a really high yield is an indicator something is wrong. And so, or, or you know, there's a distressed company. And, and you know, there's a, um, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, if you want income, you got to go for the higher yields. But at some point, that that's uh, that's a warning sign. And I think a lot of dividend growth investors and dividend income investors and high yield investors have learned that, um, you know, um, and that was a case in point, right? And so, I mean, but there's plenty of stocks even during the during the past few years where the yields exceeded like seven, eight percent, ten percent, and it just yep. was, it's. I was like looking at those companies, and I was like. Boy, that sure looks attractive, but I have no idea if this company is going to survive with that level of yield because it's happened before, right? And so you're just kind of like warning sign, warning sign. You know, the red flag is up, right? So, yeah, absolutely. And, and that was a big lesson for me to learn. I mean, don't get greedy. 
<laughs> do not get greedy. Yeah. The dividend's probably in danger if yeah. it's in very high, especially if That's it's right. in the double digits. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Um, yeah, it's probably okay. in danger. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Prakash, let's, uh, I want to switch to sort of a, a positive note here because we've been talking about sort of the economy crashing. What are, is there a, maybe one or two or, you, you know, any dividend stocks that look interesting to you today and why? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stocks out there today that are trading at the lowest valuation in some time and, you know, or at the highest dividend yield at some time. And, you know, as you're well aware, dividend yield is inversely related to the stock price. I mean, so um, and 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 kind of also valuation, but not exactly if the earnings are revised down. But, you know, I have been looking at both higher income stocks and as well as just dividend growth stocks. And one of the stocks that I've been buying and, and taking a little bit here and a little bit there is, is Verizon. And, um, you know, the yield is upwards of 7%. And so the question then is, you know, I just got through saying high yields can be a danger, right? And so, yeah. you know, here's Prakash saying, oh, 7%. But, you know, it is, there's some, some attractiveness here because first of all, it's the highest yield in a decade, right? But the payout ratio, at least when I last checked it, was around 50%, a little bit less, give or take, right? That's not and bad. And so that's not so bad. That's not yeah. so bad, right? And, you know, they're they're struggling a little bit with, with growth, subscriber growth and cellular, because they're being beaten by their competitors. But it's a, it's a, it's a, um, but they are one of the market leaders. In the U.S., there's only really Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile. And so there's only three main competitors. So... At any given time, one of them is going to be doing well while the other one struggles or something. They're going to be taking, you know, a market share from each other. But, you know, I felt like at least for a small position, it might be a good place to start. Right. And so that's kind of what I thought. Um, um, there's a few other stocks that I've been looking at, you know, um, that kind of um, are down to pre-pandemic levels. Um, and they may or may not be, you know, good buys right now. It just depends on your personal preference, like Clorox. Um, is a stock that is kind of back to where it was pre-pandemic because what drove its earnings during the pandemic is no longer there. Um, it could probably come down a little more, but it's definitely worth keeping an eye on, in my opinion. Um, and then um, another stock that I have looked at um, was T. Rowe Price. And T. Rowe Price is well known as a dividend aristocrat. It's got 36 years or 30, something like that, 36, 35 years of dividend growth. But it's earnings are sensitive to the stock market. And so if the stock market goes down, its earnings come down. And so, but at the same point, the yield has skyrocketed to about 5%. And so it's worth looking at, um, but it is a volatile stock and may not be comfortable for some people. However, I mean, even other stocks like, you know, Coca-Cola, I think is yielding over 3% or it was until uh, this this week. And, and there's a few other stocks that have been, um, uh, um, yielding, you know, over 3% after being, you know, sub 3% for some time. And, and, and they're worth looking at. And, and, um, you know, even other stocks, which are overvalued for many years, like Ecolab was overvalued for many years. And I, it, you know, they're worth at this point, keeping an eye on, right. Or looking at in greater, greater, um, detail, um, but yeah. And so th those are kind of ones I've been looking at, um, recently, um, I, and, um, it, you kind of have to decide which ones are the areas you want to invest in for yourself. Um, and, you know, I tossed out a bunch of names and there's a lot more names. And so you kind of have to go to my website to look at everything that we, we've talked about. 
You know, I mean, like Whirlpool is yielding over 5%, but at the same point, housing market is slowing. So they're going to have to struggle, right? And so, mm -hmm. so you kind of have to weigh that, you know, and think of, is, is it really worthwhile now or do I wait another six months or do I wait a year, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you've given the audience a lot of, uh, a number of stocks to, to think about and to look at, because uh, there are some opportunities there. And uh, I don't, I, I read this somewhere. I don't know whose quote it was. <laughs> and uh, I'll just, let you know what it is and you can take it at face value, right? Uh, somebody wrote somewhere that more millionaires are created during a recession than at any other point in time, because there are opportunities there as prices come down. So that's correct. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, you know, you know, they could always go down more and that's always the risk, <laughs> but you know, eventually the bull market will come back at some point though. No one knows when, and you know, it could be a great buying opportunity. Yeah. And I think a, a number of things we already talked about, right? You're you're mitigating. You're not just going out and buying any stock that pays dividend blindly, right? You are mitigating your risk by looking at the fundamentals. Is the company financially healthy? Is the payout ratio low? Is the debt low? Can it afford to pay that, correct? We're not just blindly throwing darts in the air and picking any stock that it lands on, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, like I mentioned Whirlpool, I myself don't own it, but I've definitely looked at it because it came upon one of my, you know, screens and, and, but at the same point, you know, I know when I looked at it, I was like, Hey, this is interesting stock. It's worth looking at, worth tracking, but I'm not putting any money down right now. And so I definitely let things pass. I mean, I, you know, you have to let more go and pass than actually, you know, hitting by. And, you That's know, Warren Buffett point. says, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he says you gotta, you, you know, he says, think of it as you've got a punch card with 20, a t 20 punches, you know, pick the ones that you're going to buy. Right. Yeah. And so, um, but yeah, so, um, it, it's, um, you kind of have to say now, um, what am I buying? And now, I mean, I've been investing now for a while, so I've got my stocks. I'm more likely to add more to stocks that I own than to add a new one. Um, and because at some point it becomes unwieldy, you know, if I have a hundred stocks, I might as well just go get a mutual fund or ETF. Right. And so I, I have my stocks and if I have to sell one, the question then becomes what to, what do I replace it with? And that's not an easy question to answer always. Right. And so, um, and so, you know, but if you're just starting out, then you have really a, um, you know, a, a blank canvas and you can, you know, take a little bit, you know, especially with brokerage costs so low. Um, but yeah, so even when I add shares though, I mean, just to build upon what we're talking about, I don't add to everything. It's not like, oh, the market's down. I'm going to add to every single thing I own. I'm adding to the ones that make sense, right? To me. And so. Yeah, absolutely. So you really need to be selective and Correct. make sure, yeah, you're, you're making the yeah. right decision there. Yeah, that is uh, awesome. Incredible. Um, I think we've learned a lot today. It's going to be great for the audience, uh, to, to follow up and pick up on these things. Uh, Prakash, your writing is incredible. <laughs> I've been reading Thank your stuff you. for many, many years. Uh, that is, uh, uh, I recommend everybody to go there and check it out. So where can people find you online and how can they get in touch with you? Sure. So uh, I'm online in several different places. So we've got uh, www.dividendpower.org, which is the um, website for me. Um, I write there. I have some other people who write there who are experienced investors as well. Um, um, and you can always reach me there by signing up for my newsletter there and just reaching out to the email that's respond, respond there. 
I'm also on Twitter. Um, I, I have about 1400 plus followers on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter if you'd like. All the articles that come on Dividend Power end up there as well, at least a link to Dividend Power. Um, I do write for Seeking Alpha, um, not as much as I used to, but I do still produce articles for there. Um, and I recently extended into Substack. And so you can follow me there as well. There is definitely, I've gone to writing, um, my weekly stock pick is in Substack. It's, it's free at this point. And so, um, so I used to be, that used to be on the website. Um, but I, I moved that to Substack. Now we still do write detailed analyses and dividend safety analyses and so on on dividend power. So those are available. Um, and so, you know, we have a lot of avenues where you can interact with me in that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so on Twitter and Substack, do people just search for your name or do they search for dividend power? So it's dividend power. So um, on there is dividend power on Twitter and Substack as well. And okay. so you can find me there. Yeah. And you mentioned the list as well, right? You've got the dividend stock list, aristocrats, uh, right? You've got that on your site as well. Correct. Yeah, that's on my site. Um, you know, the dividend kings, the aristocrats, the champions, the contenders, the challengers, the dogs of the Dow, the dividend increases and the dividend cuts. So those are kind of our core tracking um, items. I mean, we have other things as well on there. You know, um, everybody loves Warren Buffett, so I definitely have some of his stuff on there. Um, yeah. You know, and we've been expanding a little bit of our content to other areas. Um, and there's, I have some other writers who who address those areas. And so, but yeah, so we've got a lot of lot of lot of stuff for a lot of people in different locations. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, so I'm going to say it again. I mean, everybody should go check out your site. Check out the list of stocks. If you're thinking about getting into dividend investing, or you've got a couple of stocks in mind. Uh, check out what Prakash has to say about those stocks. Uh, he's got in-depth write-ups on uh, a lot of those companies, and that's going to be really helpful for anybody listening to uh, this podcast. So, Prakash, thank you so much today for sharing your time, your knowledge, and your insights about dividend investing. I'm sure this is going to benefit uh, our audience uh, for sure. And so thank you for being on uh, the podcast today. Thank you, Conwell. Thank you for having me. And uh, congratulations on expanding into the podcast area. It sounds like it's a great feature for your Simply Investing platform. Awesome. You're welcome. Thanks again, Fakash. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit the subscribe button, click on the like button as well, and check out our website for more information, simplyinvesting.com. See you next time.